You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. This is episode 116. My guest today is an old acquaintance of mine. We met when I was living in Cambodia. Her name is Adrienne Ravez, and let me tell you, she's a busy entrepreneur. So here we go. Adrienne introduces herself as a Web3 entrepreneur, a digital and innovation specialist, an intercultural clinical psychologist, and a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner and advocate. She was featured in Asia-Pacific's Top Rising Talent in the 2020 campaign's 40 Under 40 list and was named Entrepreneur of the Year Asia-Pacific at the 2019 Women Leading Change Awards. She's a partner and COO in Quantum Endorphin Digital, a communication agency. She's a co-founder of Geeks in Cambodia, a digital media hub advocating for a social good approach in technology and better recognition of alternative finance for startups. She's been a foreign trade advisor for France in Cambodia since 2019. And because she wasn't busy enough, she recently co-founded Charmelin Champagne, a French champagne Web3 brand based in the metaverse with digital and physical assets accessible through NFTs. Wow, I'm done. I hope I didn't forget anything. Hi, Adrienne. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Laurent. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a great pleasure to, uh, to be with you today, especially as you mentioned, uh, we've known each other for several years. So it's, uh, it's a real pleasure for me to, uh, to have this discussion and, and sharing uh, a lot of uh, different common interests and passion for entrepreneurship today. Great. So before we talk about champagne in the metaverse, because I have a question <laughs> about this one, tell us how did you come up or did you end up uh, being an entrepreneur? Uh, thank you very much for the for the question. It's it's actually a very good uh, question, and uh, actually the answer that I have is usually that I, I didn't plan to. So I think it's uh, it's a bit different from the type of journey where you decide that you want to launch something, you mm. decide that you want to become an entrepreneur, and then you undertake the different steps uh, towards you know like uh, becoming an entrepreneur, launching your company, so on and so forth. Um, in uh, in my case, it's been a bit different. Uh, I was uh, working in France, in other countries as well, but I was mostly based in France. And uh, so, as you described in uh, in my bio, I'm uh, initially uh, an intercultural psychologist, and uh, most of my work was uh, was really in project management, project development, and especially in the nonprofit sector, working mm -hmm. a lot. Um, to support some uh, advocacy initiatives and because of the intercultural aspect of my uh, of my work there were a lot of uh, awareness and advocacy uh, work so basically i started to um, to be more and more involved in digital technologies because of this because back then uh, we called this web uh, 2.0 mm -hmm. 
-hmm. especially with the advent of social media, uh, these tools were representing uh, amazing resources for us working in uh, the nonprofit and awareness slash advocacy sector to actually uh, amplify some messages and, and amplify some particular causes, raise funds, but also raise awareness on a, on a general uh, you know, like basis. So that's how I started to uh, be involved in new technologies. Okay. And back then, my, uh, my partner was a designer. And he mm. worked with a lot of different uh, companies providing uh, multi multimedia and creative design, so on and so forth. And it appeared that there was a synergy between our two um, uh, expertise. And we started to provide consulting work to clients. And because it started to scale and to become bigger and bigger, um, it became practical and natural to launch a company in order to cater for the needs of our clients and our partners. But um, none of us, uh, thought okay let's become entrepreneurs let's launch something it's it's it was really like a practical and natural process that came because of the of the demand and the supply uh, i would say so um, perhaps uh, a bit different from from a person who decides to launch a company and, and to mm -hmm. embrace the entrepreneurship journey for, for me it was a bit different yeah no i've heard this same type of story stories before it's one of the uh, natural uh way of becoming a, an entrepreneur uh, but it's interesting that you didn't realize you were becoming an entrepreneur you became one and then you remained one so i guess Absolutely. you are hooked <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean Absolutely. for you to be an entrepreneur Absolutely hooked, yes, yes, and uh, and I think that uh, that my experience as an entrepreneur it was mostly about creating value. Uh, of course, you know, like the financial value, because when you when you launch some projects, at some point the the, the it's important to to be you know like API oriented and, and to create a financial value so that you can be sustainable and and so that you can continue to grow. Um, but when I say creating value, it's also in the aspect of being creative. Um, coming up with solutions uh, and I would say products uh, that would cater for, for your team, for your clients, for your partners, for your users. So it's this creativity that is um, for, for me the, the most important aspect of entrepreneurship that I've become really hooked on because when you talk about creativity and creating value and uh, generating ideas, then it's limitless you know like you you can really apply this to any type of industry and what i find that is extremely interesting and fulfilling as an entrepreneur is that you can create synergies and convergence so you can be a social worker you can be a psychologist you can you can be you know like um experienced in sociology and anthropology but on the other hand completely embrace the resources that new technologies can bring for your projects and uh, and your different and the different products and solutions that you are going to to create and actually create convergence between human uh, social human and social science but new technologies as well and and I think that this fulfillment that I found in entrepreneurship I couldn't really find anywhere else because when I started to become an entrepreneur around 12 years ago it was not necessarily obvious for people and not necessarily easy 
um, for, for people to understand that we could link those different perspectives. Whereas now, I think nowadays, you will find so many people who have a background in sociology or psychology, but who are very prominent uh, in, in the new technology sector. So it became you know, something completely normal. But back then, it was complicated for people to, to understand the, these kind of synergies and convergence. Yeah, and then you have people like me, entrepreneurs like myself, who struggle with uh, new technologies. <laughs> so let's talk about that, because I'm happy to have you today, because you're an expert in web free and emerging technologies i mean innovations web3 innovations emerging technology opportunities are popping up every, every everywhere the last one being like chat gpt everybody is uh, talking about it just before conversation actually i was i was trying i was trying it out for the for the first time but let's start with the basis what's web3 yeah, that, that's a, that's a very good question because it uh, it became part of the buzzword buzzwords that came in yeah. uh, in the conversations. Should it be marketing based or entrepreneurship based or business based conversations uh, recently? It's actually more simple than it. Uh, than it seems. Um, we always come with a terminology so that we can categorize some approaches and some tools. So for example, when we talk about web one, very simple, it's what we call uh, read. So you have information on the internet and you can read those information, you access this information. So it's really what we call web one. Then uh, I was talking about it a, a bit earlier when, uh, when, I, when I was talking about my uh, my beginning in the new technologies 12 years ago. So we uh, started to talk about the advent of Web2. So Web2 protocols would be more uh, revolving around read and write. So very common example for this is social media or blogging. Mm. So uh, before you went uh, to the uh, internet to find some information, but then with Web2, you could go to the internet and also create information. You started to have a voice as a, as a user so, for example, social media, you could create a Facebook profile, Twitter profile, you could create a blog, uh, and then you were able, as an internet user, to also be a creator of the information and to write your own information. And then Web3 is a, a step after that, that we call read, write, own. So, for example, uh, under the, the Web2 protocols, um, you create an account under um, any, you know, like a social network, such as uh, Twitter, Facebook, so on and so forth. Um, you can generate information, you can write information, but your own data, your own information, they don't, even if they are supposed to belong to you, they are not hosted by, by yourself, right? They are hosted by a third party, that would be Facebook or Google or Twitter, so on and so forth. So some of the Web3 protocols are actually um, uh, putting forward uh, the idea of uh, decentralized uh, protocols that mm. would uh, allow you as a user to own your own data, to store your own data. So that would like, be a like very... blockchain, for instance. So blockchain would be part of the of the technologies mm -hmm. and of the resources that we would uh, qualify to be under Web three, um, but it would it would be uh, broader than than only talking about you know like a blockchain. Uh, basically, Web three is bringing us a whole kind of protocols that would be decentralized and that would allow users to. Um, I would say to, to claim a bit more ownership. Should mm. it be the ownership of the protocol, but also the ownership of the assets, generally speaking. So um, when we talk about users ownership, one of the very uh, interesting aspect that we are talking about is um, the decentralized or autonomous organization, the DAO, or I think in English we say DAO. 
sorry, mm. in French we say DAO, but in English we say DAO, <laughs> sorry. Um, so this would be one of the numerous examples of, uh, of the conversations that we can have uh, around uh, claiming back some ownership. And this is actually one of the aspects that in the champagne brand that you mentioned before, we are putting forward when it comes to giving more ownership to the, to the people who are taking part in the brand experience. So mm. uh, from me, from my perspective, I think it's um, both easy and difficult to, uh, to define Web3 in the sense that I think it's easier than, uh, than what we are trying to, uh, to highlight when we come with a lot of buzzwords, because in the end, it's only a matter of a new iteration of the internet that yeah. is um, putting the user in a different posture that they were uh, in the web one and, and, the, and the web three iterations. But on the other hand, it would be complex as well because there will be so many examples and so many use cases. So usually uh, when we provide um, through, through our company, when we provide consulting or, or training on Web3 opportunities, we really like to take a step back from the buzzwords and to focus on the use cases so that we can really give our clients some concrete examples on how they can use these opportunities in their own sectors. So if it's you know like finance, insurance, telcos, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think once again, if we undertake the approach of Web3 in a very complex manner, we can see so many uh, different resources and so many use cases. But on the other hand, if we take it uh, with a step back and thinking, okay, so from my perspective as an entrepreneur, as a business, depending on my industry and my expertise, how can I actually take advantage of these opportunities so that uh, these resources, these tools, these technologies actually serve uh, what I'm doing in a better way? And what I also think is interesting to consider is that sometimes the answer is that it's not necessarily relevant to your business, not at this stage, yeah. not right here, not right now. So, so once again, uh, I think it's very important to take a step back from the buzzwords and to consider the utility, uh, what is useful for me as an entrepreneur, as yeah. a business, is it useful or not? And if it is, to what extent and in which capacity and to which particular and very concrete use case so so yeah that would be my approach to yeah so but that, that's that's a that's a great question in itself so this show is for entrepreneurs it's about entrepreneurship so how can entrepreneurs make those decisions because it can be so overwhelming it is very overwhelming but I would say that it would be uh, applying the same process as we do for any other resource or any other technology or any other tool. In the end, it, it would be more like taking a step back and thinking about the utility. Um, I will give a, a very concrete example. Yep. On a daily basis, we are using emails, we are using cloud storage, but do we really think about the technology that is underlying you know, like those solutions. I don't think so. I think that we are thinking about the utility. I'm using my uh, online calendar that is shared with my team. I'm using my emails. I am using my uh, cloud storage, but I am not asking myself every five minutes, oh, but which technology is behind, you know, like what, uh, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, like uh, resources are really uh, dictating the technology that I'm using right here, right now. So I think that when we reach this step, the example being given for emails, calendar, or cloud systems, I think it's about the adoption. We adopt tools and resources because it's useful for us. So 
I would say that we should just apply the same process when it comes to Web3 opportunities or Web3 technologies. It's about as an entrepreneur, as a business, what do I need? What do I need to scale? What do I need to, um, to undertake my daily operations in terms of uh, management, managing my team, in terms of managing my finance, in terms of managing my suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. And mm. I feel that, but um, I might be wrong, but it's, it's really m- my experience of things, right? So I feel that we are in a configuration that is very similar to the configuration that we had 10 to 12 years ago with companies and entrepreneurs asking us, do I need to be on Facebook? Do mm. I need to be on Twitter? Do I need to be on LinkedIn? Do I need to use, um, you know, like web uh, to resources do i need to use social media do i need to do digital advertising and for me right now when our clients are asking us do i need to to develop uh, blockchain based applications do i need to embrace uh, the opportunities of metaverse uh, the answer is the same is how relevant to your business is it mm. because if it's only to surf on a trend so that you know like uh, we use buzzwords and we say, oh, we are going to create NFTs. We are going to launch an NFT collections. We are going to create a space in, meta- in the metaverse, in this or that metaverse. Um, that's great. But is this really serving the purpose of the business? Uh, I think it's always about relying on a logical framework as an entrepreneur, as a business. It's about what are my goals? What are my objectives? What are the activities that I'm going to undertake to serve these objectives? And what are my KPIs? From what moment can I say that I'm succeeding at what I, uh, I am trying to do and what I'm trying to undertake? And if at some point, blockchain applications, metaverse resources, NFT resources can serve the purposes that I'm trying to achieve, then yes, that would be interesting to explore and that would be interesting to um, to be supported by uh, experts from the strategic perspective, from the technology perspective, mm. and from the monitoring and reporting perspective. But if not, if uh, the, the business that I'm running at the moment um, doesn't need to rely on, you know, like, a, doesn't need to build a centralized application, doesn't need to, con- to consider DeFi at some point, or doesn't need to be present in any metaverse, then I don't think this should be something forced. But that's my, pers- my perspective. Sure. You will find people telling you that, no, we, we have to, you know, like, uh, uh, this, to evolve in this uh, sphere because that's the future. And uh, I understand uh, this and, and I respect this. But for me, it's, it's more like being an entrepreneur is more about taking a step back and always thinking about what I'm trying to achieve first and foremost. And then how can the resources that are out there can help me achieve that? Yeah. And there are a lot, there are a lot. I mean, Web3, but but also uh, everything that would be emerging technologies, like you were talking about uh, AI, and there, there is AI, uh, uh, there, there is uh, VR, uh, there mm. is uh, extended uh, reality uh, that, that we are starting to, to considering a lot uh, mm. as well. So all these emerging technologies, are at some point relevant, but not for everyone. So I I think that uh, for for us, for example, being like uh, advising our our clients in these uh, areas, um, we always try to support them in in taking a step back and thinking on, is this useful for you and how, and what is the business case that we want to develop? Yeah, Yeah. no, it makes makes sense. I totally totally agree with you. See, I like what you said. Yeah, go back to the basics. You know, what is does does those do those tools help you serve the purpose of your business? And also, I think what you're saying also is that remember these are only tools. They are not an end in themselves. 
They're just a means to help you grow your business and, and, and scale. Um, can you give an example of, you know, one of your clients you helped uh, implementing Web3 tools? Sure. So I, I can give uh, I can give many uh, different examples. So the first step will always be the the consulting aspect of things. Mm. So for for example, some clients will uh, will come to us more from the marketing aspect of things and will say, okay, we've seen that uh, metaverse is becoming uh, is becoming really important, and many brands are actually investing in the metaverse and are actually uh, developing a lot of solutions in the metaverse. Our main purpose is uh, to provide uh, innovative uh, experiences for our clients and to work on client's retention. So is it relevant for us to um, actually develop some experiences in the metaverse? So the response that we will have to this is, first, it will depend on the market. Who is your audience? Who are your clients? As you know, uh, our agency is based in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And Metaverse in Cambodia is still extremely underdeveloped. It's underdeveloped, generally speaking, already, but in Cambodia, even more. Cambodia is an emerging market, and sometimes we are doing education and awareness when it comes to social media still, when it comes to how use, uh, how to use Facebook, how to, to better secure your account on Facebook, how to use privacy settings on Facebook. So in a market like this, it's very difficult to leapfrog and bring metaverse experiences when people are still not completely familiar with what social mm -hmm. media is, right? On the other hand, emerging markets like Cambodia are also markets that have performed leapfrogs on many occasions. Like for example, for the mobile adoption. Yeah. Um, in Cambodia, people have neglected, in a sense, the use of uh, traditional uh, mobile phones and have leapfrogged straight away to the use of smartphone and tablets. So why not? Why not considering that this market could be open to experiences mm -hmm. like this? Okay. So then the second step after that would be the client education and um, presenting to the client what is the metaverse, generally speaking, what are the metaverses? Because there are different types of metaverse in terms of uh, um, nature of the metaverse, the ones that are decentralized, the ones that are not. And then in terms of metaverses that are niche, that are serving, you know, like a certain category of, uh, of people. And then there are many, many, many solutions when it comes to metaverse. Um, some, uh, some suppliers, for example, some partners are providing white level solutions in the metaverse. So you don't have to build your own experience from scratch. You will just use a solution that is already built and it's white level. So you can put your brand and provide your experience to your clients, etc. So we are presenting all these different solutions to our clients, explaining what there is and what is possible for them or not. And I would say that at the moment, 99%, 99.9% of the time, it is, okay, we don't need this. It's mm. more interesting for us to continue to invest in social media, social media advertising, social media experiences, social media campaigns, rather than investing you know, like the, the metaverse, which is still underdeveloped. And especially in emerging markets like Cambodia, and the ratio between the investment and the return on investment when it comes to either client conversion or client retention is not what the company or the business is, uh, is able to, 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 to actually undertake, right? So that would be some examples that I would say are the most common because definitely metaverse, the metaverse is definitely a topic, a very hot topic in Cambodia and many brands want to understand what it is and what it can do for them. Yeah. So that would be, I would say, more on the FMCG or FNB aspect of things and retail aspect of things. So fashion, retail, FMCG, 
um, all these uh, clients are the ones that would be very interested in the metaverse. Then we have another um, example that would be more in uh, the banking, finance, mm -hmm. and insurance uh, sector. Uh, for them, the things that they are more interested in would be DeFi, would be uh, building decentralized applications, um, and would be consulting on understanding what blockchain is and how they can integrate this in, uh, in their practices. And same thing, we always start with uh, consulting about their needs, what, what do they need, what are their use cases, and, and how blockchain can be uh, actually integrated into their practices. The funny thing is that sometimes they are actually already using applications that are relying on blockchain, but they don't know. But they don't know. So that's, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but it's good because then, you know, like that's when we talk about adoption, in, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and then once again, because of the market, because of the, the targets, uh, because of the budget, because of the, the, the big picture, you know, like of uh, what they, these companies can afford or not, then very often, uh, blockchain-based technologies or developing actual, you know, like new apps and uh, and new protocols that they are not using yet do not necessarily appear relevant uh, relevant to them. But in that case, the education, the awareness is a very important component for, for mm. our client. Mm. And then we have a, another use case that, in, in my opinion, is extremely important and it's more related to agriculture. So in Cambodia, as you know, the agriculture sector is, uh, is very big and uh, is one of the sectors uh, that is uh, receiving a lot of interest when, when mm -hmm. it comes uh, for, for investors, for, for example, right? Um, so we have a lot of, um, of resources in Cambodia, such as uh, uh, the Kempot pepper, such as the rice, or the, the different vegetables that are being grown and exported in Cambodia. And then comes the, the issue of the traceability. So how can we right. make sure that uh, that first and foremost, you know, like the um, what are the conditions of production of these different resources, and then how the end consumer in Europe or in the US can check that it's uh, you know like authentic Cambodian paper, yeah. can check that uh, it's uh, rice coming from Cambodia, so on and so forth. So that's when blockchain is becoming extremely important and extremely relevant in the supply chain when it comes to traceability. So I would say that for, for these aspects, we have a lot of opportunities, mm. but it's, I would say it's more the, the actual step of implementation that is, uh, that is a bit more tricky because when it comes um, to implementing this type of protocols, this type of applications, um, you need to be able to rely on team members who understand these protocols, who understand uh, what kind of information will need to be fed to the supply chain and, and in which way. And then it requires a lot of investment, financial, human resources, mm -hmm. and logistics, uh, mm -hmm. generally speaking. So I, I think that for those three, you know, like different examples that, that I shared in Cambodia, should be the metaverse, should it be DeFi, or should, should it be uh, traceability? There is a lot of interest uh, us as, um, as advisors, as consultants, we are doing a lot of work when it comes to awareness and education. But when it comes to the actual implementation, in Cambodia, we're not there yet. Right. But regardless of where, where you are uh, or where the country is, what, what you're saying is, okay, uh, well, three technologies are there, but don't rush. Take a step back, look at your business, go back to the basics understand where you want to go uh, see if any technology could help you get there fast faster uh you know get the knowledge from 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 experts and also understand that what works for one industry or for one country may not work for another country or another industry i, I remember uh, in social media 
I don't know if it's still the case, but Facebook used to be, when I was living there in Cambodia, Facebook was huge, but Twitter, Twitter very small. So, you know, doing, doing any, any social media campaigns on Twitter in Asia would be like completely useless <laughs> for, for instance. And I guess, I guess it's the same thing with, uh, with what, what three technologies, right? Uh, absolutely, and taking uh, the example of the metaverse, uh, I, I think it's a it's a very good, you know, like uh, example for this. Mm. It's if some brands here are rushing into developing experiences in the metaverse, but there are no metaverse users, yeah. uh, then what would be the point? So, uh, so definitely, it's it's a lot about awareness and education first. We are the agency for for Meta in Cambodia, mm. so obviously we we worked with them to put. Um, out there some educational material to the metaverse even if you know like meta has been also um, put in perspective when it comes to their own vision of the metaverse so meta's vision of the metaverse is not the metaverse so i think this is very important to to specify this however regardless of their vision they still are they are still willing to to work hard on educating and creating awareness towards what what is the metaverse and what are the resources that the metaverse can bring in the in the future so in this example, it would be meta, but there are also other players who are very much willing to work on, first and foremost, awareness and education mm. before actual adoption. Because mm. if you don't understand what the resource is, how can you use it from the user's perspective and how can you invest it as a, you know, like as a company or as a business? Yeah. So, so exactly like what you just mentioned before when you say don't rush, I think it's really doing things step by step and and in the proper the proper manner, and I think as a, as advisors or as a you know like consultant, we have a responsibility in educating our clients first, so that they can make uh, informed choice, informed choices, and and that they can definitely decide to invest where it would be relevant for them. And uh, about what you mentioned earlier, when when you said oh, how how these technologies can potentially help them to get where they want to go faster i would uh, complement this by saying it's not necessarily faster but it would say i would say better in mm. a more sustainable manner in a, in a way that would be more relevant for their clients their users their partners uh, their investors in the in the long run because when we talk about um, using uh, using blockchain protocols using uh, application that rely on blockchain technology very often one of the reasons that we put forward is more transparency it is more transparent you know the information cannot be corrupted so it's a it's a very good way to uh, to to be uh, to be able to uh, to provide a clearer and uh, and better information so i think it's really about this it's getting there faster in some cases but in other cases it would be okay taking the time to uh, consider using these resources so that we can perform uh, in a in a more relevant manner and in a more sustainable and sometimes more ethical manner as well. Mm. So, so I would really complement this to to say that this is uh, this whole consideration. All right, fair enough. So let's talk about ChatGPT because since it's been open to the public, everybody has been rushing <laughs> on it. It's like everybody is talking about it, uh, and so there's like. It sounds to me like everybody is, is in a rush. Is <laughs> it doing exactly the opposite of what we just talked about? What do uh, you yes, think about chat, chat GPT first? Yes, uh, absolutely. So, so just, uh, well, uh, I think so Web3 and uh, AI are, are two different things. And, right. and I think AI resources have been adopted by 
uh, you know, like massive uh, users for a very long time, uh, like virtual assistants, like Siri or Alexa, have been adopted for a very long time. Now. Sorry, let me let me so, let me let me go back to what you said. You said Web three and AI are two different things. So AI yes, is not a protocol no. of Web three. No, no, no. Web Web three and AI are are different things. Okay. We put uh, AR, VR, uh, extended reality, mixed reality. We put this under emerging technologies, but it's not Web three. Please continue. So, <laughs> no worries. So, um, so for example, some uh, some tools and resources that are resulting from uh, artificial intelligence, we've already adopted for a while. I'm giving the example of the virtual assistants because I think they've been here for a very mm -hmm. long time, and, and people are used to you know like Siri and uh, Alexa. So, ChatGPT it's not a virtual assistant per se, but it's uh, also uh, relying on uh, natural language processing, and uh, and therefore what what it does is that it analyzes your request and it responds to to your request and it also learns from what he's being fed with and then it evolves and the responses are becoming more and more accurate with uh, uh, the more people use it and the, and the more accurate uh, and rich it becomes um, so i think chat gpt is a is a very very good use case because uh, once again sometimes it's very abstract when we talk about artificial intelligence and mm. the very different you know like uh, aspect of artificial intelligence that, that, that we can find uh, machine learning natural language processing robotics etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so uh, I think ChatGPT is a very good use case because then we can talk about concrete actions that it can perform so uh, you send uh, a prompt to ChatGPT uh, for example which is okay can you create a social media caption for me then it will do it. Can you create a blog article for me? Then it will do it. Can you uh, translate this for me? Uh, it will do it so-so. <laughs> can you correct this article for me? Or, and one thing that I love about ChatGPT is, can you code for me? So ChatGPT is mm. able to generate coding. So some people have been sharing uh, a very, very uh, interesting uh, and creative use cases of ChatGPT being uh, able to, to generate code for like uh, Google Chrome extensions and, and also performing debug because when ChatGPT generates uh, code for you and then you implement your app or your Google Chrome extension, let's say this as an example, and it doesn't work, you can go back to the conversation and say, oh, it's not working, this is not working. And then there would be a debugging process. So this is, uh, this is very Amazing. interesting. Yeah. It's it's really uh, honestly like uh, I think most people that that I know who have recently adopted ChatGPT they all say it's my new best friend because um, <laughs> because it helps it's yeah, it yeah. concretely helps a lot for other things but also it's a conversational style tool mm -hmm. so it means that you know you have a conversation with uh, with ChatGPT so so a little bit like the virtual assistant but uh, from from my experience and and what I I've used you know like uh, Siri Alexa okay Google and and ChatGPT a lot, and for me it's different. It's uh, it's another level of uh, of interaction. And um, however, uh, there is something that I would like to say because I I heard you know like uh, people having a lot of debates about oh but uh, you know resources like ChatGPT or uh, Dali or Midjourney, uh, Dali and Midjourney are artificial intelligence but related to uh, image generation. Both of them are very different, but uh, but still uh, interesting to to also explore. So I heard a lot of debate between the people who say all oh, those resources are going to uh, um, uh, to provoke job losses because some people will be mm -hmm. replaced by these technologies, and other people saying, oh no, it's not the case, etc. So so mm -hmm. I think this is an interesting debate, uh, but there is no clear answer. You know, like there is no Manichaean answer. I think to to this debate because obviously. 
if you go to uh, if you are a company and you go to platforms like Fever that are relying on freelancers and you go there because you want to have uh, blog articles being drafted in English, obviously ChatGPT can do this, you know, like to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So this is possible that these kind of people are end up, you know, like having less less work. But for me, it's more like uh, not being replaced by artificial intelligence, but being replaced by someone who knows how to use artificial intelligence. And these are two different things, you know. So definitely there are some tasks that will be replaced, but not necessarily some people. So I think there is a challenge at the moment, which is if some of the tasks that I was performing as an employee are potentially replaced by ChatGPT, then how can I invest ChatGPT so that I can actually use this tool to provide a better experience or better results or better performance? And, yeah. and I strongly believe that, you know, I, I strongly believe that. I believe that for, for, from my perspective in, in, uh, in my agency, we work a lot in public relations and we write press releases and uh, we write articles. ChatGPT will never replace our coworkers mm. because there is no, the, uh, you cannot find in ChatGPT the identity of the author. You cannot find in ChatGPT the touch of the journalist. You cannot find in ChatGPT, you know, like the, the application of the brain guidelines or, you know, like things that are only a human touch. So it would be making the job of my colleagues easier because they can grasp resources on a, uh, you know, like a faster basis. They can also find answers. They can also find, you know, like some troubleshooting to, to some specific issues that they want to write about, mm -hmm. but it will never replace the human touch that they bring as a journalist, for example. So, so I think this debate is, uh, is interesting and it will be interesting to see the different use cases in the different industries and see how people actually adopt this uh, solution and, um, and, and how it can help them. And sorry, one interesting thing that I would like to note as well is earlier I was talking about leapfrog and I was talking about the fact that in emerging markets like Cambodia, like our market, um, you know, like some technologies are still, the adoption is still very, very slow. Well, it's not the case for ChatGPT. We have some clients who are not tech savvy whatsoever who yeah. started to use ChatGPT actually. Well, as I said, this podcast is for entrepreneurs and what this discussion shows me is that entrepreneurs keep have to keep on adapting <laughs> absolutely absolutely i think it's it's um it applies to technology but not only as entrepreneurs we always have to adapt to the legal framework of the markets that we are evolving in yeah. uh, compliance requires a crazy amount of adaptation management is the part that as an entrepreneur requires the most adaptation because uh, you know like people's expectations uh, are evolving um so of course, the evolution of technology and the new technologies and the emerging technologies that are coming to us as an entrepreneur requires a certain level of adaptation. But as an entrepreneur, you've always been adapting to mm -hmm. everything that came your way. Should it be in terms, as I mentioned, of compliance, um, administrative-wise, tax-wise, um, finance-wise, and then management-wise, and even operations-wise, generally speaking, you know? So I think it's just another layer of uh, the entrepreneurial journey that you just have to adapt to, but uh, but but I think that if you um, if you have the right partners with you advising mm -hmm. you, and also if you if you do this uh, this research on your own to to understand um, the different possibilities, the different use cases, and how we can apply it or not to you, then then I think it's it can be something extremely exciting. Really. Okay. What have you? What are the two or three things you've learned about yourself since you became an entrepreneur? 
Oh, so so many things. I think that um, it's it's really uh, transforming. It's a journey that is really transforming, especially when, as I mentioned, you don't necessarily plan to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, and for for me, you know, like coming, uh, I actually come from the nonprofit sector. I'm a psychologist. I'm uh, graduating in anthropology, sociology. Uh, I was an activist in uh, in many, you know, like um, social aspects of my work. Mm. So uh, for me, business has always been uh, capital capitalism and the devil. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and, 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 like, not a journey that I was planning to, to go to, you know. <laughs> but I, I have to say that I found in the private sector something very honest and something very straightforward that I appreciate and that you decide to embrace or not. And, uh, and I think that the, the things I've learned about myself and that I would always use as a, as a recommendation, as an advice that I give to any entrepreneur is that you can do business without being capitalist. You can do business without being a shark. You, you can do business while keeping your, your values, who you are, and reinventing your journey and uh, making choices that go with your, your values and, and your ethics, obviously. And, and this is sometimes the, the, the tricky part. Um, but, but yeah, I think that I managed to, um, to undertake and embrace this entrepreneurial journey while never compromising uh, who, who I am in terms of you know, like my initial values and the, and the things that I believe in. Um, and this is, uh, this is something that has been exhausting and, and very challenging because obviously you are always facing uh, difficult uh, choices when you have to be a sustainable business while juggling with uh, uh, profit and uh, human side uh, of things. So I think remaining human centric, nevertheless, is a, is a real journey in, a, in itself. And, uh, and then I think the, the, the things that, that I've learned a lot are, are really related to how important it is to be humble and to mm -hmm. always take a step back, always take a step back. Um, sometimes, you know, like as human beings, we, uh, we, there are things we believe in and we, we want to be right because, you know, that's as part of the, of the human nature of things. But as an entrepreneur, you realize that it's more important to be humble to be, than being right, because in the end, you need to create value. Uh, if something is not working, it's your fault as an entrepreneur. You know, like uh, it's always your responsibility. You cannot, like, if you have anything happening to you in life, you can always find you know, like external causes. But when you are an entrepreneur, it's always you in the mm. end. It's because you uh, you didn't you know, like choose the right partners, you didn't choose the right investors, you didn't recruit the right person, you didn't choose the right technology. And on the other hand, being in this constant um, dynamic of putting yourself in question is extremely self-rewarding because that's how you grow. And, and also I think it has, um, I don't know how to say it in English, but it's relieving in a sense because from the moment you accept that you are going to make mistakes, but that these mistakes are the resources that are, will allow you to, to learn more and, and to better next time, then you are not afraid anymore of making mistakes because you think you understand it's part of the, of the journey. So I, I don't think this is something that is um, as easy as, as it can appear, you know, like when saying things like this, because uh, initially when you are an entrepreneur, you, you feel that you have responsibilities and you always have to be strong. You always have to have the answer mm -hmm. for everything. But in the end, I've, I've learned that you know, like accepting that there are things you don't know, there are things you suck completely at and you shouldn't <laughs> do it. And, you know, like you need other people, you need to rely on other people and you should always um, acknowledge your mistakes, acknowledge when you're wrong. Um, for, for, for me, this, this is really the, the, the part of being an entrepreneur that I've really learned and, and I am happy to, 
to you know reminding myself this mm. uh, this every day that you know you it's not because you you launched a company and uh, or you are partner in a, in a company that you need to be almighty and know everything you know there yeah. are things that you don't know things that you're not good at and that's okay yeah. would that be the one recommendation you would give to other entrepreneurs or all aspiring entrepreneurs um, That would be one of the recommendations, but yeah. if there is only one recommendation yeah. that I need to choose, it would really be to be humble. For me, this is the key to everything because when you are humble, then you are able to take a step back. When you are humble, you are able to develop more uh, interpersonal skills. When you are humble, you are able to develop more intercultural skills. And those are key aspects to mm. you know, like pursuing your entrepreneurial journey. Um, being humble doesn't mean that you you cannot be confident because obviously you need to build confidence as well so that you're mm -hmm. able to to undertake certain things and and take some risks as well. But uh, but for me, if if I need to choose the one advice, it would be being humble every step of the way, no matter what you achieve and and the recognition that you get from your peers or from your industry or uh, the clients' portfolio that you build or you know like the your awards that you get. Blah blah blah. Doesn't mean anything if in the end you know you. You cannot capture the essence of always taking a step back and and always trying to remain relevant in what you do. Yeah. Well, amazing words to uh, conclude this uh, this episode. One last question for you: How can people contact you? I think the easiest way is LinkedIn because mm -hmm. uh, because it's uh, it's the usually uh, the easiest way for me to to get in touch with uh, with people uh, from the professional network etc uh, but uh, I also use uh, WhatsApp and Telegram I'm not a very big uh, Facebook uh, user and uh, my Instagram is more to post pictures of my cats and my food so not very great entrepreneurship <laughs> you know so <laughs> all right thank you very much Adrienne for your time today Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I hope it can be useful for, for some people. And obviously, these are very exhaustive questions that are very you know, like difficult to cover uh, in, uh, in a conversation like this. So I hope I was clear enough. And if not, I'll be happy to elaborate more when needed and if needed. Great. And thank you for listening. Interviews, Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code is available on all your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube. Subscribe now so you don't miss any episodes. See you next time. Bye for now.